Well, good morning, Mercy Road. It is good to be with you joining us online. Good morning. We are so glad to have you with us. Just in case we haven't met, my name is Chad Murphy. I'm spiritual formation pastor here at Mercy Road, and it is my privilege to bring God's word to us this morning. I've got an interesting title for our message. The title of today's message is Specs and Planks. And if you have your phone or your Bible, I would love for you to join me in God's word today. We will be primarily in Matthew's gospel, chapter 7, looking at verses 1 through 5. But to kind of set the stage for why today is important, why this message I think is important for us, I want to share something that Pastor Mike shared with me. Um, It's an interesting article written by a pastor and an author named Carrie Newhoff. I want you to take a look at the title of the message. It's a pretty striking title. Why do we hate each other so much? Five Reasons Anger is the New Epidemic. And one of the things that struck me about the title, if you get a chance to look at the article, it's written in bold and all caps, which I'm not great with how people speak, but I'm told when you use all caps and bold, you're, you're saying something very outrageous, like, listen up. And so I, I think there's some profound, important messages that we can all garner from this article if you get a chance to look. There, there's just one thing that, that hit me right in the heart. It, it, it struck a chord with me, and I want to share it with you this morning. One of the things he observed about our current culture, our current time, our current place in history is hate generates more clicks than love. If, if we're online and we're searching and Twitter, Facebook, what they're learning is hate, outrageousness, generates more clicks, more willingness to say, I want to take a look, than love. It's a sad truth that people, that we somehow have become more attracted to anger and outrage than we are to love and kindness. Facebook, Google, Twitter, and other social media outlets use algorithms, which are just cool formulas. They they begin to understand and study our behavior, and then they flood us with things they think will draw us deeper and deeper and keep us on their social media outlet longer. And what they have figured out is outrage sells more clicks than love and kindness and even good content. If something can be a little outrageous that can grab our attention full of anger, they've learned about this human condition that we're more likely to click and take a look than a well-researched content that's not outrageous. In other words, they have learned that if they can display in their titles some hate and anger and outrage, they're going to get more clicks, which means they're going to be able to sell more advertising dollars than if they just gave us good content that was not outrageous, full of love. Just in case you've stopped watching the news, I could have maybe shouted this out when Mike uh, asked us what we're thankful for. I'm thankful that there are no more political ads on television. 
okay? I, I got a hear, hear, and an amen on that. I, I have been so thankful that that part of TV advertising has gone silent. But just for a moment, I want to revisit with you because I think there's some important lessons in it. One of the things that's interesting about political campaigns over the last 50 years is they have changed. And particularly, advertising has changed. One thing we don't hardly ever see in a political ad anymore is someone telling us what they will do if they are elected, what they hope to accomplish and change if they get elected to an office. Instead, what we're far more likely to see is why we should hate and be angry at their opponent, <laughs> why we should not trust the party, why we should not vote for that candidate. I want to show you some startling uh, evidence of what's changed since 1960. In 1960, only 10% of political advertisements were negative or, or attack ads that pointed fingers at the opponent. In 2012, that number changed to 85.7% of aired ads were negative or what we might refer to as attack ads. Folks, that's a 75.7% increase in negative ads since 1960. Now, we, I don't get to go behind the scenes and sit while they're planning their advertisements, but my guess is they have discerned that if they can throw mud and rocks and stones, it's far more effective. We listen, we hear, we interpret it in the way they long for us to far more than if they tell us, hey, here's what I stand for, here's what I believe, and here is how I will run if you elect me. Now, I'm not proud of that as part of our history, but, but somehow we have fallen into a place where negative attack ads, throwing mud, slinging dirt, is far more effective than saying, I will lead you, and this is how I'm going to go about leading well, we're in the middle of a series titled Unoffendable. It's based on a book that one of our men's group has walked through, journeyed through, and the book was shared with me and Mike, and I'm so thankful for that because the book is really helpful, and I th think it comes at a very important time for all of us. How do we get to a place where we are unoffendable in a world and a culture that loves being angry and offended? It, it has so many great things I could have quoted, but there, there was one thing that really stuck out to me, that the author, Brant Hansen, reminds us of something we may not like hearing about ourselves, but I think is true. Let me put it up. We want to think people are worse than us. <laughs> we want to think people are worse than us. It's one of our favorite pastimes. Brant just pointed out example after example of how we kind of like it when other people are put down, when other people, mud is slung on them. Somehow it, it, it makes us feel elevated and, and better about ourselves. And then he concludes, taking offense is a national sport. We, we delight in saying, shame on you. You did this. 
They did that. And, and again, it, it's a place in time where we have elevated offense and made it part of our national pastime. And if I could just summarize that, we love gossip, we love throwing stones, we love judging others and taking offense at what they are doing and just as importantly, what they're not doing that we think they should be doing. And I hate to say this, but I think Hansen's right. I, I think he hit the nail on the head. And folks, I'm not just preaching this message to you. It's, it's every bit as much for me. There is something in our broken, sinful nature that delights at seeing fingers pointed at other people, at seeing other people brought down. We enjoy somehow taking offense at the words and the actions of others. We're quick. We're quick to judge. We're quick to be angry. And we're quick to throw stones. I think part of the reason negative ads are effective and hate and anger generates more clicks than love is because seeing the perceived faults of others being put on display somehow makes us feel better about ourselves. It's strange, it's unhealthy, but I think there's something very true about that. I, I think there's something in our sinful human nature that feels better when we see others being brought down. And so, that's a backdrop for the journey we're about to take. And I want to lead in with this. I think social media, I think the technology has put this on steroids. It's, it's elevated, I think, our push towards being attracted and falling into this trap. But it's not new. And we can go back, and, and we will go back, 2,000 years ago, as Jesus walked this earth, he saw this happening all around him. And as he taught and spent time those three years with his disciples, he comes back to this topic in different ways multiple times. But probably the most powerful is in a sermon, in a message, his longest sermon that he ever gave. It's, we titled it the Sermon on the Mount in the Bible. And, and some of you are very familiar with it. But it's in this place that I think he addresses it in the most profound way. So if you will, follow with me. Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 1. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, hey, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I heard some chuckles because it's outrageous, isn't it? And let's be honest, Jesus meant for it to be 
outrageous. He did not want you to lose this image, and he didn't want his audience to lose sight of this image. Jesus looked out to those around him, and he said, why is it your nature to point out the speck in David's eye, in Carrie's eye, in Terry's eye, when all the time you've got a plank in your own eye. You somehow delight in looking at your brothers and sisters and saying, Lisa, all the way from here I can see there, there's a speck. You got to do something about that. Folks, doesn't she need to do something about the speck? Can you believe it? And here I am with this plank in my own eye. Jesus was reminding them and reminding us that we're quick to judge. We, we delight in pointing out specks in our brothers' and sisters' eyes. And yet here we are so often unwilling to look inward and deal with our own stuff, our own sin, our own planks, our own specks. Jesus knew that left on our own will throw mud. And sadly, many of us are going to delight in throwing the mud. And if we're not throwing the mud, we'll click so we can watch you throw the mud. That's almost better because I don't have to do it, but I still can delight in it, in the secrecy of my home. I want to just give us some opportunities today in, in your talk notes if you want to follow with me some things that hopefully we can learn and, and put into a practice in our own lives. And the first is this. We must leave judgment to God. We've got to leave judgment to God. And, and the first reason this is true is if we're honest, we're just not very good judges. <laughs> We don't understand the fullness of people's reality. And when we throw mud and, and, and hurtful words, so often we have no idea what's going on. And yet we'll judge without the full evidence because that's easy to do. So we've got to first leave judgment to God because we're not very good at it. Second, the Bible reminds us and we can go to uh, James chapter 4 and see this, that there's only one lawgiver and there's only one judge. He who is able to save and destroy. And that's the Lord, folks. One lawgiver, one judge. And then James concludes, so why are we to judge our neighbor? And of course, the answer is, we shouldn't. We need to leave judgment to the one lawgiver, the one judge, the Lord. At another point in Jesus' ministry, he tells a parable, which is just a, a powerful story that Jesus often told to make an important claim that people would remember. So he tells a parable about a prideful man, a judgmental man who is self-righteous. And then he tells him, in the same story, the, the story of a humble man who's desperate. Listen, and I'm going to read it to us from Luke's Gospel, chapter 7. I'll begin with verse 9. I'm sorry, chapter 18, beginning with verse 9. 
to some of you who are, were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other men. They're robbers, evildoers, adulterers. Why, even this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up towards heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The Pharisee could so easily see and, and so easily judge the sin and the brokenness of those around him. And if we read into the story, and I think we're not reading in too much, we can see he even delights in pointing out the sins of his brothers. He, he, he loves saying, look at me. Oh, I'm so very thankful, God, that I'm not like these other guys. Oh, even Mike, thank goodness I'm not like Mike, right? He, he was exalting himself. He, he showed no humility, and he was delighting in showing off the sins of those around him. But his outward pride and his judgmental attitude blinded him to the one thing he needed to deal with, and that was his own sin and his own brokenness. He was not willing to look inward and reflect on his desperate need for forgiveness, his desperate need for a savior. He was unwilling to deal with the plank that was in his own eye. So our second reminder for our own lives is this. Our confession of sin, not our judgment of others, justifies us before God. Jesus says that when he confessed his sin, he, did, he couldn't even look up to heaven. And he cried out and he confessed, I'm just a sinner, Lord. I'm not worthy of you. He went home justified. But when the Pharisee chose to just judge the others around him, he was not justified. And earlier in our story, we were reminded, in fact, the same judgment he used to judge the men around him will be used to judge him. But the judge won't be a Pharisee. It will be the Lord. And so when we choose to judge, we better remember that the same measure we use to judge those around us will be used to judge us. But our judge will truly be the one righteous judge. And folks, that ought to strike fear in us as followers of the Lord. There's another powerful story in the Gospel of John. And some of you may know this story. If you don't, I'll give you just a little bit of context. The religious leaders, once again, they bring a woman caught in an adulterous affair. 
and they bring her into the public square in front of all these people, and Jesus is there, and they cannot wait to press Jesus. They, they think they've got him trapped. They, they think they're going to put him in a place that he can't escape. And they, so they say to Jesus, this woman was caught in adultery, Jesus. The, 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 the Testament, the, the Old Testament, the law tells us that she must be stoned. What do we do? And they just think they got him. And Jesus says, you who have caused no sin, have no sin yourselves, let you cast the first stone. And one by one, they turn and they sadly walk away. You see, they loved, loved seeing the speck in her eye. They couldn't wait to bring it to the attention of Jesus. They, they couldn't wait to say, Stone her, Jesus. That's what the law calls for. But Jesus said, hey, before we do that, let's look inward. And if you are without sin, boy, by all means, go first. Have at it. Folks, those Pharisees, I don't like to say this, but that could be you and it could be me. We love to judge. We love to throw stones. But we need to look inward and deal with our own sin and let the Lord be the judge. Amen? Amen. Folks, one of the most powerful ways we can become more unoffendable is to remember how much grace and mercy God has bestowed upon us. You want to become unoffendable, come back to that truth, the one that probably brought many of us to tears, that, that God loved us enough to die for our sin, to take our planks, to take our specks, and wash them away through the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It, it's really hard to get offended when we remember that truth about ourselves. We haven't earned the right to be in heaven. We haven't removed all our planks and all our specks and we're just righteous as all get out. Therefore, we will be with the Lord. He dealt with the planks and he dealt with the specks. And it's really hard to get offended at the brokenness and the sin of other people when you remember the love and mercy and grace that has been bestowed upon you. Something crazy happened to me this week, and I don't think it was an accident. It, it's funny to me now, but I thought about it all weekend. On Friday, it was pretty nice out, and I was off, and so I'm like, I better deal with these leaves. <laughs> I'm running out of time. And so I was out there frantically raking and uh, bagging the leaves, and as I pushed the leaves down in the bag, there'd always be kind of a poof, right? Because the air was compressed. I went inside, and within an hour, I had a speck of something in my right eye. And my eye watered, and I was watching a movie, and if my kids were in their teenage years, I'd say, I'm not crying because of the movie. It's the speck. 
But, but I was crying and weeping and my eye would not clear. And I tried to wash it. I went to bed uncomfortable. I woke up more uncomfortable, incredibly painful. I dreaded blinking all day Saturday. I took saline solution and I just pressed and forced my eye to stay open. And I washed and I washed and I washed. Nothing was taking that speck out. I went into the shower and I just literally was holding my eye open. It was burning as the water was hitting my eyeball. I don't even know if that's a good idea. Don't, don't try that at home. I'm not kidding. I, it hurt. And, and my eye was dry and I went to bed. I'm like, if people see me like this tomorrow, they're, they're not going to want to get anywhere close to me. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. Jason would still be willing. And, and lo and behold, I woke up this morning and I'm better. And, and, and all I'm saying is, I just think God was putting an exclamation point and saying, I'm the one who deals with your specks. I'm the one who will remove the planks. All you need to do is come humbly before me, confess your sins, and I will wash them clean. Amen. We serve a gracious, loving God. Folks, the most profound hymn that we sing is Amazing Grace. May not be your favorite, but whether you're a Christian or not, you probably know a portion of it. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Full of specks full of planks. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but because of you, God, now I see. Folks, that's the God we serve. A gracious God, an amazing, grace-filled God who bestowed the love and mercy of his Son upon us not because we got rid of all of our specks and our planks on our own, because we can't. We're still dealing with them. I'm still dealing with them. But because his mercy and grace through the love, death, and resurrection of his son has made us right and full and complete in the Lord's eyes. So let's be unoffendable. Let's extend that same grace and mercy to those around us so that our light can shine, even with people who look at the world entirely different than we do. Folks, if we, the church, the body of Christ, don't extend mercy and grace to those around us, who will? Who will? God called us. And if we're not willing, who's going to do it? Will you pray with me? Lord God, forgive me. Forgive us when we're quick to judge, when we cast stones without knowing, when we delight in the faults and the failures of those around us, when we click on the outrageous but refuse to lean into the love and hope Lord, soften our hearts. Soften my heart. Take my heart of stone and give me once again a heart of flesh. 
May the grace that you have poured onto me and to us fill us so full that we pour out grace and mercy onto those around us. Lord, we want to be a church. We want to be a body of Christ that's unoffendable. Thank you that you are the righteous judge. May we live and walk in mercy and grace. This is our prayer, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.